How many of you are glad to be here today? I wish there were more of you. Because this is a word for today. This is a word that God wants us to know. Do you want to know what God says? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your presence that's here, oh God. Thank you for the, the, the glory, Lord, which is your weight and authority. Thank you that that's here in this place, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak. Lord, that your anointing be on this word. Lord, that it would meet the needs. Lord, that it would go and do what you want it to do. Lord, I pray that we have good hearts, that our soil is prepared to hear, prepared to receive the word of God this morning. Lord, let your words be in my mouth. Lord, may you be seen and not me, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning, I want to look at the story of Jonah. It's a story that we all know. Show of hands, how many of you never heard the story of Jonah? You never heard the story of Jonah? Oh, well, you're going to hear about it today, that's for sure. The majority of us, most of us, we heard it from growing up in, the, in Sunday school, all, all through Sunday school. It didn't matter what class you were in in Sunday school, you heard about Jonah. From the, from the time you were in the, at the, in the cradle roll, what they used to call it, to the, the beginner class, to the primary class, to the junior class, to the junior high class, to the high school class. Do you remember those? And you heard every time, every time you would, you would be advanced to the next class, that was one of the stories that was inherent in your classroom teaching in Sunday school. You're going to hear about Jonah. You're going to hear about Jonah. You see, there's a reason that we need to hear about Jonah and we need to hear his story. You see, in this story, there's a, there's a few things that we've got to understand that are in this story. It's not just a cute kid's tale about somebody going, going overboard and taking a submarine ride. The story of Jonah gives us four examples of different things and, and it gives us example of disobedience. It gives us the example of restoration. It gives us the example of anger. And it gives an example of passion. Compassion. Passion. Yeah, there's passion in it too. But you get those things from this story. You see, there, I want to read, the first thing I want to read is I want, to look, want you to look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God gave Jonah an assignment. He didn't give him an option. Do you see an option anywhere in those two scriptures? No, there's no option. It says, Go. And what does it say to do? It says, go and preach. Do you know that God gave us the same exact assignment? Go and preach to what? All nations. It's not an option. It's an assignment. 
God said, go to Nineveh and cry out, and cry out against it. The, the NIV version says, go preach against it. Jonah, being who Jonah was in the time that Jonah lived, Jonah knew about the Ninevites. He knew. He knew what kind of people they were. I'm going to give you an example of the type of people that God told Noah to go preach against. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, or, was, or soon would be the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were known for their brutality. You want to know what kind of brutality and how brutal the, the Assyrians were? I'm going to tell you how brutal they were. They, when, I, when you hear some of this stuff, you'll know why everybody in the world knew who the Assyrians were. They invented crucifixion. It wasn't the Romans, it was the Assyrians. They invented crucifixion. The Assyrians would impale their enemies on large sticks and leave them hanging along the side of the road to instill fear and intimidation. The Assyrians, they would flay. How many of you know what flay means? Not fillet, but flay. The Assyrians would flay the rebel leadership or the, the opposing, the opposing uh, you know, their enemies, their leadership. They would take and they would cut strips of skin off of live bodies and hang it to the wall. These were brutal people. They would behead people. They would amputate limbs, they would blind people, and they would castrate men. Why? Because they were intimidating people. Because they wanted their will imposed on every place that they went, and they didn't want any resistance. They also burned small children alive. Go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out or preach against it. Jonah knew what he was up against. He knew the type of people that God was telling him to go to. Now you know what kind of people we were going to go to, that Jonah was called to go to. You have an assignment, and you have an assignment to go to people, maybe not much like the people of Nineveh, but you have an assignment to go and preach to people that are in your sphere of influence. You have an assignment to go and let people know that Jesus loves them. Those were the people where God was calling to repentance. Why? Well, we have the answer in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the Ninevites. For God so loved the Assyrians. For God so loved Muslims. For God so loved Hindus. For God so loved gang members. That he gave his only son, his only begotten son, begotten of a woman. The son of man. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We just sang a song about it. We're not given an assignment to go to whoever we please. 
What was Jonah's response? Here's Jonah's response. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. His response is he runs. He runs. This was Jonah's attitude. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going there. Those people are mean and those people are nasty. And I'm not going to go there and preach against them. Because they may do the same thing that they've done to their other enemies. They may do the same thing to me. Uh Uh-uh. Not this little gray duck. I'm not going. I'm going to go the other way. You see, at that point in time, Tarshish was as far away as you could get. It was the other side of the known world. It was completely opposite of what way God told him to go. How many of us are guilty of that? God gives us an assignment and we say, no, God, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to head, I'm heading in this direction, God. And, you know, I remember one time I told God, I said, after we had been a, uh, I'd been a, a music media pastor at a, at a small little church in Dixon, California, and when we went, left there and we went back to Capitol Christian Center in Sacramento, I don't know what that is, but I guess I've got to stay up here because it doesn't happen up here. And I told God when we back, I went back, I said, I said, God, I'm not going to do anything at Capitol. I said, if you want me to do something, you bring it to me. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. You bring it to me. You want me to do something, you bring it my way. And so what did God do? The pastor that my wife worked for. He told her, call your husband and make an appointment with him. I want to see him. I went in, sat down in his office, and he said, I want you to help me pastor guest services. Guest services was 100 folks. Ushers, greeters, golf cart drivers, information counter, 100 folks. I didn't find it. God brought it to me. He said, all right. Okay, if those are the terms, I'll bite. (laughs) I'll meet those terms, because I'm God, and I have an assignment for you, and you're going to fulfill that assignment whether you want to or not. Because if you don't want to, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. You'll be running for the rest of your life. You see, when we, and when we're in the situation and we're in that mode of running, you know what happens is other people pay the price for our running. Why? Because we're miserable and wherever we are, misery follows. Misery follows you whether you want it to or not because you're not in the will of God. You're not where He wants you to be. And so you're miserable. And people are miserable around you. You don't believe me? It's in the story.
suddenly says, God brought a wind, a strong wind. He brought a storm. And the men on the boat were suffering because of Jonah's disobedience. They had done nothing, but they were suffering because Jonah was there. And they, it's like, dude, what did you do? What, what did you do? There's a ripple effect when we're disobedient and we're running from God. Throw a pebble into a lake and watch the ripples. Then throw another one. You know what's really cool is when you throw something into to a limited area, you throw it in and the ripples, they start going out, but pretty soon they hit the other side and they, side and they start coming back. And then the ripples that are already going out start to intersect with the ripples that have already come, uh, are coming back. And it turns things, turns them to chaos. And that's what you got here. Jonah's in the boat. And it's funny that Jonah was in the bottom of the boat is asleep. <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't care. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. He would, rather God, he would rather die than go see a people changed by the power and the message of the Holy Spirit. He would rather die than do that. How many of us are in the same situation? We may not say we'd rather die, but we would rather be miserable and keep going the other way rather than to do what God has called us to do. You don't think Jonah didn't care if he died? What was his response? Well, what do we do? He just, well, just throw me over. Throw you overboard in the storm, in the middle of the sea. Yeah, just throw me overboard. I don't care. God has an assignment. You want me to do what? That was what his, answer, his response to the Lord was. Well, you want me to do what? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. God has an assignment. He's going to make sure you get there. He's going to make sure you get there. How do I know? It's in the story. They throw him overboard. Jonah's expecting to die. Jonah's not expecting to live. He's expecting to drown. And along comes a great fish. A great fish. Everybody says it's a whale, but a whale's not a fish. Whale's not a fish, folks. Go back to biology. Whale's a mammal. But there are fish big enough to swallow a man. Ever heard of a whale shark? 40 foot long. They will swallow you whole. And not even think about it. And in he goes. Now, I'm not saying it was a whale shark, all right? I'm not saying it wasn't a whale. I, I, nobody knows. It just says a great fish. All I know is that a fish ain't a whale. <laughs> K 
Can you imagine? Treading water. Dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, dun dun. Trying to swim away. Oh yeah, that was good. That tastes really good. Jonah was the chum. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Chum in the water, you know, throwing bait in the water. Jonah was the chum. Brought the fish. Actually, God's spirit brought the fish. Because God was going to make sure Jonah did what he told him to do. So he brought the fish to take him to his assignment. It's just like the Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs get taken to their assignments a, a lot of times. They get taken in a submarine. Jonah was the first Navy SEAL. He's the first Navy SEAL recorded. He was before frogmen. Can you imagine? And Jonah's inside. And the smell, I don't know about you, but I cannot stand the smell of fish. It just like, and not only fish, but putrefying fish and, and all that stuff that, that might happen to have been in the gut of that fish. Can you imagine? I wonder if, I wonder if Jonah went nose blind. You know what nose blind is, right? When you've been in some place smelling something for so long and pretty soon you don't even know it, notice the smell, but somebody walk in and go, whoa. Jonah probably had to have gone nose blind, overwhelmed. But you know what? This brought about restoration because chapter 2 of Jonah is nothing but Jonah praying to God and repenting of his sin and being restored. God wants to restore us. If we're running, God wants to restore us. Now, God, he might not bring a fish. I don't know, but don't, maybe you might not want to go swimming. Especially in the ocean. <laughs> he might bring a big fish to you. But Jonah's prayer. Jonah admitted his sin and he yielded and he was restored. You see, God gave Jonah a second chance. Even though Jonah was reluctant... God used him. See, even though Jonah really didn't want to obey God, God used him. All God wants is you to be obedient because he's got an assignment for you. It might not be going to preach to some large city. It might not be going to preach in, in Africa or, or, or India or Eurasia or wherever. It might not be. It might be going just someplace here in Porterville. But God will use you. Even if you don't want to go, he's just looking for obedience. He's just looking for a lack of resistance. Come on, folks. Just, let's just give up. Let's just give up. Because God's not going to stop. Getting annoying yet? 
He's not going to stop when He gives you an assignment. He calls you to do something. He's not going to stop until you obey. The Holy Spirit will continually be in your ear. that feeling inside that like, I need to do something. You know what it is you need to do. Stop resisting and do it. Because remember, your assignment isn't for you. It's for somebody else. It's not to make you look good. It's to bring somebody into the kingdom of God. It's to restore somebody to health. It's to restore somebody's life. It's to break chains. It's to do that. It's not for you to feel good. But that's what we always want, is we want, well, I just want to feel good. Your feelings don't matter. we got to stop. Just keep, just Lord. I'm here, Lord. Because when we do that, like Jonah did from the belly of the fish, there's something that happens. And what happens is, is, this is what it says in Jonah 3, 5 and verse 10. It says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their e-ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. God used Jonah God wants to use you. The result was a town, a, a city that was three days' journey around. And God saved them all. He relented of his judgment and he saved them all. What will God do when you stop resisting? What will God do when we stop resisting and we obey the call? What will, what will God do? We don't know. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you. He's patient with you. Did you, did you catch that? It says... He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with you to fulfill the call He's placed on your life. He's patient. He's patient. He's patient, but He's persistent. that the Ninevites were the whosoever in John 3.16. Whosoever. Whosoever. The Ninevites. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the Ninevites through Him might be saved. That California through us might be saved. And Lord, it needs saving. <laughs> 
Romans 10, 13 to 15 says this, as the scripture says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But be, now listen, we, a lot of people, we stop at that. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's where we end. But there goes more, there's more. Paul says more. He's giving the criteria for that. And it says this, before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in Him. And before they can believe in Him, they must hear about Him. And for them to hear about the Lord, someone must tell them. Before someone can go and tell them, that person must be sent. It is written, how beautiful is the person who comes to bring the good news. Somebody's got to go and tell them, is it you? Yes, it is you. It's a, it's a process. We, yeah, they'll believe, but they have, how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one goes? And how can somebody go if they're not be sent? The scripture says to pray the Lord of the harvest to send in workers. He doesn't say pray the Lord of the harvest, bring it in all by himself. Lord, bring them in. I'm waiting. Get up off of your butt and get out into the field. The harvest ain't going to bring itself in. It ain't going to bring itself in. It ain't going to cut itself down. It ain't going to bundle itself up. And it ain't going to bring it in to be thrashed. That's our job. That's our job. You see, God had been preparing the Ninevites even before Jonah went. You see, God is always working and always preparing. We always think because the enemy puts the thought in our mind, well, you know, how are you going to do it? What are you going to say? You got to do all this. You got all, all this. No, you go because God is going to take you to the people he's already preparing to hear. Because somebody else might have already planted the seed and somebody else is watering the seed, but you may be the person that God is using to bring and to bring that in. We all need all parts. But God is always working. Always working. He's always going ahead of us. Do you know that God is even, even uses half-hearted preaching? Well, really, Lord, my heart's not in it, but I'm going to go. I guarantee you that was, no, that was Jonah's position. Repent for this, the Lord is coming. Repent, repent. That's, I know, I, I'm pretty sure that that's the way he's going to, with this mindset that he didn't want to go, knowing the people. I mean, if, if his wasn't, he's, he's not like most people, because mine would have been, all right, Lord, I'll do it, but really not in it. My heart's not in it. It reminds me of the story of Paul. And the people who were preaching the word of God to create issues for Paul. 
That was that motivation for that preaching was not even close to being right. <laughs> but God used it. Philippians 1, 15 to 18 says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is this, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Because God's going to use half-hearted preaching. He's going to use preaching that was preached that with the wrong motives. He's going to use it because it's God's word. It's God's word. And Isaiah 55, 11 says, The same thing is true of the words I speak. They will not return to me empty. They make the things happen that I want to happen. And they succeed in doing what I send them to do. It doesn't matter how you preach the word. Because when it's preached, God's going to use it. Because it's God's word. It's not your word. When I preach these, when I'm up here preaching, this isn't God's, this isn't my words, these are God's words. As long as I'm preaching from the word. Because Lord help me if I'm up here to be a motivational speaker. If I'm up here just, all is well. All is well. You're good, I'm good, we're all good. Everybody is just inherently good. And it's just about positive feelings. You just got to think positive. And you just got to move. Ah. <laughs> I don't want to be a motivational speaker. Because God didn't call me to be a motivational speaker. He called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. My assignment. My assignment. And a lot of this that I've been telling you, I know for a fact because I've lived it. I've lived it. And I can bear witness to the fact that what I've been saying to you was true. And that the word of God is true. It's not a lie. Because for many, many years, I was just miserable. I tried... See if you can identify with this. God gives you an assignment, and you try every other thing to appease God, to, but exactly what he's told you to do. Well, God, I'll be a Sunday school teacher. Well, God, I'll sing in the choir. God, I'll even be a missionary. <laughs> not what I said. <laughs> That's not what I said. Because even in doing those things, even in ministry, I was still miserable because I wasn't doing what God had told me. I wasn't fulfilling the assignment that God had placed on me. But when I did, you see, I had gotten myself to a place that I couldn't get to where God wanted me. Just like Jonah had gone to a place that he couldn't get back from. 
God said, okay, I'm going to send a fish and get you there. God did the same thing for me. It's like, God, I can't get you there. from. I can't get there from here. God said, you watch me work. I'll get you to the assignment that I've called you to do. I'll get you there. You just be obedient and you listen and you follow me and I'll get you there. And God did get me there. Shout hallelujah because God got me there and God will get you where he's called you to be. And then when Nineveh repented, this was Jonah's attitude. I knew it, God. I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd forgive them. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm just going to eat some worms. So what's he do? He goes and sits down, sulking. God used, that's how I know it was half-hearted preaching. Because when it's not half-hearted preaching, you would rejoice in the fact that, God, you saved a whole city. Praise the name of Jesus. Instead, Jonah's like, I knew it. I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you'd be kind. I knew you'd be generous. I knew you'd be gracious. They didn't deserve any of it. God's going, yeah, neither did you, brother. And how did he, how did he show them? He had a, a plant grow up overnight. Anybody ever seen a plant grow up overnight? I've seen some weeds grow, but not that big. I mean, they'll grow up overnight, that, that uh, nutgrass stuff. You ever, anybody have nutgrass in your yard? Yeah, you mow it, and the next day it's that tall. Despise that stuff. But this grew up, and, and it's because it's really hot, and so Jonah had a place to sit under, in the shade. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, I have a place. It's, I'm, I'm shaded now. Oh, it's not quite as hot. And then the Lord says, okay, and sends a worm. worm how many of you like worms <laughs> there's always some weirdo in the place <laughs> you know when i think of worms i don't think of earthworms because those are you know those are beneficial right i what first pops into my mind is a tomato worm <laughs> things big around is my little finger about that long Green, and you step on them, and they just squish everywhere. That's what I think of. <laughs> Lord sends a worm, and overnight, in the, in the night, it eats the plant and kills it. You ever felt that way? The Lord did something for you in the middle of the night, and, all of a sudden, and now all of a sudden, something in the middle of the night just destroys it? We get mad at God. God says, you didn't make it grow, and you didn't take it away. I did. And I gave you an assignment. And I didn't repent 
will relent from the assignment that I've given you. I will cause it to happen. I will cause things to happen. I will set up and I will pull down. You don't have control. You don't have control of it. You don't have control. I have control of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to say what I want to say. Dude, you, you don't have control. Control's an illusion, and it's an illusion brought on by the enemy to make you think that you're in control of your life, but you are not. You are not in control. Could you change the fact if we had an earthquake right now that shook this place to the ground? Could, could you change that? You're not in control. Can you, can you change the fact of, of, of hurricanes and typhoons hitting in places? Can, can, you, can, you, can you control that? Can you control when you live and when you die? Can you control how long you live? Illusion. But we think, oh, I'm going to be in control of my life because I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat right and I'm going you know, to say all the right things and I'm going to do all the right things. Yeah, you might do that, but then some knucklehead has been drinking and driving and you step out in the street and bam, you're nothing but a tomato worm. Or as Mike Warnke said, used to say, you're nothing but a grease spot in the road with your eyes bugging out. You don't have control. But I know who is in control. I know who has control. I know who knows the future. I know who knows. And you know what? He's my friend. He's my friend. He's with me right now. He's with me wherever I go. He knows he's the he's my guide. He knows the way. Most of the time, I don't know the way, but He does. And when I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to get to where I'm supposed to be. God's looking for obedience. He's just looking for some obedience, folks. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 8 says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. You're going to receive according to your labor. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because it says in the book of Revelations, we'll all stand before the beam of seat of Christ. And we'll be judged for the things that we've done in the body. And we'll receive rewards for the things that we've done in the body. Couldn't receive rewards. Now, if that is your motivation, you and I need to talk. Because that's not our motivation. Our motivation is, and I know that some of you who are, been, who are here every Wednesday night are sick of hearing it. But it's not about what we do because of what we do. We do what we do because of out, of out of reverence and out of love for Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That's why we do it. That's the motivation. 
You see, we are many parts of one body. And I'm not just talking about many parts, each individual in this body. I'm talking about we are all many parts to one body. One church, one body, one church, this church, that church. We're not this church and that church and this church and that church. We're not adversaries. It's one mission, one movement. The mission of telling people about Jesus and the movement of Christians who believe in one another and help one another. Because it doesn't matter if they come to this church or they go to that church across town. As long as they're in the body of Christ, that's what we want. Our churches should be growing because people are coming in, not because they're being transplanted from one church to the next. I don't like what they did at that church, so I'm going to go to this church. That's fine. You can come to our church if that happens. But I tell you what, you better make it right with the other church before you come to this church. Because I don't want your garbage. I don't want your baggage. Took us too long to get all the baggage out of here. We had a log jam of baggage. One, one, don't need that, need that, need that. You don't need that. People are carrying that stuff around. And you know what? When you go from church to church, the baggage doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You started off with a backpack and now you're carrying a trunk. Because you're storing all that stuff and you got to have bigger thing to carry it in. Doesn't get lighter, it gets heavier. One mission, one movement. That's the that's Bishop Ming, our general bishop. That's that's what he started a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, about four years ago, when he became bishop, his, his the Lord gave him one mission, one movement, and he was talking about one mission, one movement for the Pentecostal Church of God. But we're broadening that definition because it's one mission. Again, our mission is to see people saved, and our movement is because we're Christians. We're one body. As long we're all brothers and sisters, as long as we preach Jesus Christ crucified and risen again, we're brothers and sisters. And our mission is the same. It hasn't changed since Jesus left. What assignment does God have for you? What does he have for you to do? What's your assignment? You have an assignment. God's given you one. You don't come into the body of Christ and not have an assignment. Not everybody's assignment is the same, but you don't get to come in and not have an assignment. This ain't no free ride, folks. It ain't free ride. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, you can enjoy it, but you better participate. You better participate because you've been given an assignment. And I can't tell you what your assignment is, but the Holy Spirit of God will tell you your assignment. And you better be listening. I heard Jensen Franklin say this yesterday when I was working out and listening to, to him, his Sunday sermon last Sunday. He said, I can tell a lot about somebody. He said, he said you don't, I can tell whether they're really saved or not. Like, I thought... That's an interesting statement. He said, I can, t- I can tell if there's really been a change. 
Then he proceeded to say how he can tell. Acts chapter 9, verse 6 says this, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then, he said, then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. If there's a true transformation, the first thing that you should be asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do I do? Because this scripture is about Paul on the road to Damascus. And when he got knocked off the horse and blinded, his companions heard the voice, but they didn't see what Paul saw. And Paul said, what do you want me to do? Is that your, is that your question? Is, is that your question? Lord, what do you want me to do? Or is your question, Lord, how comfortable can I get? How comfortable can I get and still make it? Because we bought into that, that, that mentality in our society. I want to be, be just so comfortable, and I just want to do as little as possible. I want to do the bare minimum. I worked in the jail. When I worked in the jail in Lake County, and I went to the street and came back, and, and that first year after I, when I came back, and every year we had yearly evaluations, and my sergeant called me in the office to, to do my evaluation, and she said, you're doing just, just enough to get by. Like, whoa. I knew I was just kind of skating and coasting, but I didn't realize it was that bad. Are we, are, you ska- are we skating and coasting? Are we phoning it in? Because God's not looking for people to phone it in. He's looking for people to get on their knees. He's looking for people to pound the pavement. He's looking for people to be ministers of the gospel. He's looking for people to be missionaries. He's looking for pastors, teachers, evangelists, missionaries, and apostles. He's looking for people who are obedient and willing to do what God's called to do. He's, will, he's looking for people who want to, to bring people into the kingdom of God. That's what God's wanting. That's your assignment. You want me to do what? Because God might be asking you, I'm sorry, I, I, I know it's after, mid, after midnight. I'm not Paul. Nobody's going to fall out the window. <laughs> Although we might need that to have, some, have a resurrection around here to get people fired up. <laughs> might need somebody to fall out the window when you had to bring them back to life. What's your assignment? God's calling you to do something, and, and you might be going, what? God, no, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Because God will equip you to do whatever he's called you to do. He doesn't equip you, then call you. He calls you, then he equips you. And if you think, Pastor, that's backwards, then you ain't been around church very long, folks. Because I have yet to see people that don't get called and then are transformed, and then are, are brought to and, and educated and learn. The calling comes first. I was called February 24th, 1980. I remember it. 
And when God calls you, you will remember. Sunday morning service, Las Banas, California. Down at the front praying, I just got saved the week before. Just got saved. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit that day. Standing around the front with a bunch of other teenagers. We were all around the front praying. And, and, so, and the, I think it was my dad. And we're standing there. And, some, and he says, there's, there's, some, there's some people here that the Lord is calling you to preach. Calling you to preach. I'm looking like, who's he talking about? <laughs> I knew who he was talking about. I wasn't that dumb. I may be dumb now, but I wasn't that dumb then. I knew exactly who he was talking about. I just stood there. And then there was another kid in the, the, who was standing, and he was, he's kind of a weird guy. I'm sorry, there's just those kind of people in the world. They're, they're kind of weird, right? You know him. Might be you. <laughs> My dad says, if, you've call, if the Lord's calling you to preach, I want you to come stand on the platform. And he walks up to the platform and stands up there. I just... I don't remember how long it was. It seemed like eternity, but finally I was like, okay, Lord. And I stepped out and I stepped up onto the platform when my dad prayed for us. And then after the service was over, everybody came up to me, how come you didn't step up there right away? We all knew it was you. <laughs> See, everybody knew. You can't hide your calling. Your calling sets you apart. You can't hide it. You can try to deny it, but you can't hide it. God will not allow that to happen. And I want to close with this. 1978, how many of you remember Keith Green? Keith Green was a Christian artist known for his devotion to the Lord and for writing songs and a piano player. And he was just, he was just an awesome man of God. And he was taken in 1982. He must have been finished. But he, in 1978, he came out with a, an album called No Compromise. I remember it because I had it. And then there was a song on this album that was called Asleep in the Light. And I want to read you the lyrics to this song. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to listen to the words of this song. And I want you to reflect on your life in relation to the words of this song. All right? Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down. Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. 
Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. All heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door and you left him out on the street. Open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on. Get out of your bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Say, Pastor, heads bowed and eyes closed, remain closed. You say, Pastor, I'm asleep in the light. And I've lost my passion. I've lost I see people and I just, I'm numb and I don't want to be numb anymore. I want to be passionate about Jesus. I want to be passionate about seeing people saved and healed and delivered and set free. I want to be passionate about it. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. I don't want to be numb anymore, Lord. I want to fulfill my assignment. I want to know my assignment. I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to be where you've called me to be. Any other hands? I want you all to stand. If you raised your hand, I wanted you to come forward. I want to pray for you that God is going to open your heart, open your eyes, open your mind, open your life. He is going to bless you with such fire and fervor for the kingdom of God and that we're going to start seeing people pour into this place because you are fulfilling your plan, the plan and purpose God has for you. I want you all about to begin to pray. Pray. You might not have raised your hand, but I want you to pray that God will renew and restore and set fire to you again, that he will revive you so that you will see people's needs and be moved by their needs and not just by your greed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name.